be reading from Genesis 17, verse 1 to 8, please. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless, and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell, fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now in Genesis 17, 15 to 22. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, Sarai, sorry, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man by a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. For my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Thank you. Thank you so much, Katie. Good morning. As you probably know, um, if you've been here for a while, Cornerstone follows the... um, the lectionary, which is the reading system that is read by Christians across the world uh, in different denominations and sections of the church. And they are, there are regular readings that, uh, that they plan for us. And uh, I w- was interested to see that, that this is the second uh, Sunday of Lent. And the first Sunday of Lent included in it the, um, the account of Noah and the, the covenant relationship that God made with Noah, and uh, th- and this is a reading from this this morning's readings about the, the covenant relationship that he establishes with with Abram and Sarah, and um, it's um, I think it's a very deliberate thing on the part of the people that put these r- readings together to to remind us that the nature of the relationships that we have with God, uh, these are not sort of ad hoc, um, anything goes kind of relationships, but they are ordered relationships, and that God sets the shape and the order of those relationships. Um, 
I think I'm driving this thing, and if I click it, something should happen. Should I? Ah, there we go. Okay. Nothing's happening, so... There we go. Um, and what I've used this title uh, a little clumsy, uh, I know, because uh, repentance is not a very top, top popular idea. Um, and uh, the point being here that uh, so many of our human relationships are actually already set by terms and conditions, and road rules <laughs> apply on the road. Somebody made the observation this morning that in some countries that's not so obvious, you know, but it's pretty obvious in Australia that we do live and abide by those rules. And, um, and we're all glad of that, really. Um, I, I've got a, a junction near me l like this, and I'm the blue, I'm the blue car, okay? Um, uh, and um, when I come up to this junction, um, the, the traffic moving east, uh, you know, east, west, west, east across in front of me, there's, they don't have a stop sign there. They come and go at their leisure. But there's a stop sign for me and there's a stop sign um, f for the orange car. And um, often when I get there, um, there's, uh, there's no other traffic. And so there's no serious rules that apply. Um, but the moment there's other cars there, then rules apply. <laughs> Okay, a and I think this is quite uh, typical of today's society that we tend to want to live in a very individualistic way, you know, where we just set all the rules and set all the terms for our lives. And that's okay until we <laughs> find ourselves in a room with somebody else. <laughs> and then it does matter whether we're throwing rubbish around or whatever, you know. And in this particular case, um, I'm just, I thought I'd put this picture up for those of you that are just either new drivers or old drivers. Um, uh, because it's actually quite a challenge. If you pull up here and there's already a car there, or they come at about the same time, which of you goes first? The first to arrive? <laughs> Uh, well, look, look here you see, this is a case in point. I'd suggest that you go to the rule book and you have a look, hey? <laughs> I'm suggesting that you go to the rule book and you investigate this situation because it's not how many of you have come to a situation like that and then you both stop and none, neither of you knows which one goes first. And so you kind of think, does the first guy go first or does the second guy go first? Does the guy turning right go first? You know, what is it? And so all these sort of rules that, that we think we know actually apply only when they apply. <laughs> you know, when you find yourself in a situation where the relationship has moved from simple to quite complicated. Uh, no, you've got to go and look yourself. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> the reason I'm saying that is because this is the nature of all human relationships that uh, all human relationships are fine until they're not fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, until they're not fine. And guess what? That happens a lot, doesn't it? That happens a lot. So in this um, story here that we find with Abraham uh, and Isaac and, and uh, Ishmael and Sarah, and it's, a, it's a complicated s story uh, in some ways. Um, but we see here that... Um, 
that God has been watching uh, Abraham for quite a long time. He's 99 before God sort of introduces himself. <laughs> Anybody 99 here or, or trying to push for that? <laughs> One, 199? Now that's the, the price we might pay for you at a say, $2 store. Yeah, okay, you get the point here that um, what God is doing with this covenant that he's establishing with Abram is he's, he's setting terms and conditions for the relationship. He wants to bless Abram and he wants to bless many people through Abram. But if that's going to happen, it's going to happen because the relationship has some structure to it. And he chooses this idea of covenant, which is a strong promise. It's, a, it's a, an everlasting promise. You'll see a little later in the text it says there, it talks about it as an everlasting promise, uh, a commitment. And, and that commitment is to bless him, but not just to bless him, but to bless Sarah as well. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> when this story is told, we forget Sarah. But Sarah was actually the agent through whom the covenant was to be initiated in the fact that she bore the child. And, uh, and God includes her, and he wants to bless her as well and to make her a blessing. So what he says to Abram, he says to her, and they become, as uh, Peter wrote, they become heirs together. Heirs together in the blessing. And it's a very important thing for us in this age, whether we're in a marital relationship or whether we're just in human society, to be mindful of the fact that, uh, that we might be of a different gender or something like that. But we, we particularly in the, in the marital relationship, that we respect each other and that we recognize that we are heirs together of something huge. And that we give that that, or that that respect to each other because we are doing something and participating in something very remarkable. And Abraham had to get his head around that. He had to get the fact that he and Sarah were doing something in the purposes of God that he, he couldn't imagine would ever happen. He laughs, doesn't he? He says, <laughs> what? <laughs> this is... You know, not just because it's physically, virtually impossible, but because it's so big. And you can see he, he talks about uh, Ishmael in this situation. According to the custom, if a, if a couple were childless, uh, th the wife could suggest that her slave w could bear children on her behalf. And that, but that slave would actually give birth to the child on the wife's lap, you know. <laughs> that would be the custom on the lap, so that that child was uh, was the, the wife's ch child, as it were, uh, and um, and it's it's Ishmael, and um, you know Abram goes along with it, um, but it's an example of the fact that when human relationships um, are uh, you know they get complicated at times, and this is one of those situations where for Abram for Sarah this was a complication. It was a very difficult situation. And you know how the story goes, that as, um, as, uh, uh, Jacob, uh, as uh, Isaac is born, uh, uh, with, within the first months, 
um, uh, Ishmael is kind of needling him, the, the little kid, you know, and it creates such tension that um, that uh, that uh, that Ishmael and his and his mother Hagar have to leave the, the family. Now, you know, this isn't a perfect family, is it? And you can see in this story that we've read that uh, that that uh, that Abram has a real commitment to Ishmael. You know, he, 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 it may be complicated, but he's got a commitment there. And that is the nature of life sometimes, that we find ourselves with kind of uh, complicated commitments. One of the things that I've uh, felt uh, about Cornerstone was that, that, that Cornerstone should be a place where people with complications uh, are safe uh, to, to prayerfully do the best they can. And, um, and if you knew the lives of the people that have been a part of this congregation and are sitting among us today, you would understand that that's been part of the character of the church because that is part of the human condition, that life gets complicated. And what I am so amazed at is that God still goes into this covenant relationship with somebody who's got a complicated life in Abram. And there's a tendency, you see, for us to feel that because of the complications in our lives that we don't qualify. But God is looking more deeply than that. Life does this to us. It complicates things at times. And isn't it so wonderful that we have a Father that does not abandon us uh, because we have got into what we might call a mess. Made a decision that we maybe shouldn't have made. So absolutely amazing. So the, the promise is th- that, um, that you be extremely fruitful. You're gonna, Abraham says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I, I, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. You know, that's the kind of thing that gobsmacking promise, isn't it? You can understand why he wants a, a covenant relationship, because a, com- a committed relationship. He says, Abram, I want you to commit to this. I, I want to put this blessing upon you. I want to put this privilege upon you, but I want you to commit to it. And that's one of the challenges about um, the blessing of God, that the blessing of God comes to us as a kind of huge potential. Uh, in the case of Ishmael, for instance, Ishmael is also blessed the huge potential there. But we get the feeling that somehow or other, because of his nature, he does not fully realize the potential of the blessing that's upon his life. And that's the challenge, that when God takes a hold of us and calls us into relationship with him, he calls us into something far bigger than we could ever, ever imagine or do for ourselves. He calls us into something that he is doing, not just in this age, but in eternity. He calls us into something that he is doing in all of um, all the, the creation. He calls us into playing a role in the creation uh, as it goes through a, ge- a regeneration when he comes again in his power and glory. And, and so what he's begun in us is something that we should fall on our faces and have a laugh about because it's just so huge. 
the challenge for us is that if we are going to really enter into the potential of that blessing, we have to commit to it. In a, even in our weakness, he's not asking us, I mean, he says to a- Abraham, he says to him, walk before me and be blameless. I, I could, I, at that particular point, I'd say, I think you've got the wrong guy if you came to me with that. But he does come to us with it, and we'll see how he comes to us. He says that's the aspiration. Because what the commitment does, the relationship commitment does, it, 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 it gives the opportunity for, rela- for trust to be developed. Because that is one of the fundamentals that we need in our relationship with God. We have to learn to trust Him. We have to learn to trust Him because He puts us into situations where, naturally speaking, there is no other way. We can't fix it. Nobody else can fix it. And the only thing we can do is either reject God and rage against Him or trust Him through it. Apparently, it was... Uh, Winston Churchill that said, when you're in hell, just keep walking. That was quoted the other day, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, you have to keep just trusting God in those difficult circumstances that somehow or other he's going to take that circumstance and he's going to make it fretful. He's going to make it productive. He's going to make it something that you'll be glad. You would never have chosen that path yourself, but having walked it, you say, oh, I found God in that. So the committed relationship builds trust. It, it, both, it, it proves character, but it also improves character. It's a committed relationship. God is not going to abandon us because we can't always keep the standard. But in the process, we discover where our true strengths and weaknesses are. We discover how powerless we really are to be the people that we are called to be and why repentance is so useful because it gives us an opportunity to go back to a merciful God and say, oh, I, I dropped the ball again, didn't I? God. The third thing it does is it sets regular patterns, patterns that you can only see over time. That's every relationship needs a routine, especially children, especially children. Children need regular routine, and they need to know when they're going to bed, they need to know when they're having their evening meal. They need to know when they're having their bath. They need to know when they should get up or they can leave their room in the morning so that, you know, the rest of the family has quiet. They just need these routines because it gives them psychological and emotional security to know that they can depend on things that are going to happen on a regular basis like that. So in those regular patterns that give shape to life, we find that what that regular pattern does, by continuing in things that are, that, that are in the heart and mind for God for us, uh, what happens is it's in the continuance that the fruitfulness becomes a reality. You know, it doesn't all happen instantly like that. When I look back on my life, and, uh, and I, uh, you know, which I frequently uh, do, um, but when I look back on it, I kind of see the value of this. That, that, um, that it's in the long line, you know, in the continuance of faith that the fruit is born. It's like um, planting pear trees. They say you plant pear trees for your heirs, you know, because they don't necessarily hit their, their prime until they're about 40 or 50 years old. But about then, they get just, I mean, they've been bearing fruit for quite a long time, but it just gets better. And that's... 
What happens in a committed relationship? If the parties are committed to that relationship, it just gets better. A committed relationship helps the development of uh, mechanisms for apology, for repentance and for forgiveness. It, it helps us because we can see the impact of our actions uh, and uh, we can see what happens if we don't change. And oh, there's so much here. A committed relationship can, gives time for love to grow. It gives time for us to prove uh, the faithfulness of God and to be an example to others about the value of having a committed relationship with God rather than just something in the short term. I've seen so many situations where, you know, you can give up too soon. You know, life can get difficult. You can give up too soon. You can feel like God is not faithful to his promise and you can give up too soon. The fascinating story about Abram is that Abram, at that particular age, he has Isaac, right? And he lives another 40-something years, 47 years, <laughs> as if one complication's not enough. When Sarah's uh, passed away, he, he marries again a woman called Keturah, and he has a string of children with her. <laughs> Does God remove the covenant? God's going to remain faithful. Isn't it amazing? And the thing, yo, know, is this, that he did not see the fulfillment of his great blessing in his own natural lifetime. But the scripture tells us, and I should be moving on here, if I can push this thing forward. Um, and this is Paul. Paul picks us up. This amazing story. He says, clearly God's promise. Listen to what he says. He says that the promise to Abraham was the promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to the law, but on the basis of a right relationship with God that comes by faith. A right relationship that comes by faith. Now, the thing about the, the English language and obviously um, other languages as well, it's sometimes we use these abstract nouns. Uh, the, 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 it says the right relationship that comes by faith. What that word faith is, in simple terms, it just means trusting. It just means taking somebody by their word, believing the promise that God gave them. In other words, when we talk about faith, we're not just talking about an abstract feeling in our hearts and minds we try to generate. We're talking about a quality of our relationship with God, that we are going to trust Him because He has made the promise to us. And that's what Abraham did. In spite of the fact that he never saw that pr promise fulfilled in his own lifetime, he, he, he lived his whole relationship. And look what it says. So the promise is received by faith, by taking God at his word, in other words. Uh, it is given as a free gift. And then listen to Paul. Paul is using this example of Abraham for us to, and our relationship with God. He says, and, it's, and, it, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abram's, for Abram is the father of all who believe in God. In other words, he's saying that we are the fruit of Abraham's faith in a measure. You know, We are the fruit of Abraham's faith. And because... Uh, and then it goes on to say, and th that is what the Scripture means when God said, I have made you the father of many nations. He's saying that those nations are not necessarily um, uh, 
a, a kind of a, a geographical or, or um, you know, historically formed, although in some ways they are. Because if you think about the way in which the Christian gospel has affected many nations by, um, you know, shaping their law and shaping their institutions, and, and they have actually, those laws and institutions, these things that are derived from the, 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 the relationship with God that is manifest powerfully in Abraham, and then we recognize that relationship, and we recognize, wow, we are in something bigger. This, God first spoke this thing to Abraham, and here we see it happening throughout the world. Nation after nation, people group after people group are being affected by the gospel, and their laws are changing uh, to, to line up, and the way in which they live is changing to line up with the, the revelation of God that we first see in Abraham and in his special relationship. That is what the scripture means when, I, when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. Not necessarily all biologically by sharing his DNA, but by sharing his faith. And this happened because Abram believed in the God who brings back the dead to life and who creates new things out of nothing. And I suggest that you think about that in terms of nationhood. Think about it in terms of this nation. Because this is the thing about covenants. What a covenant does is it defines the relationship between God and the person into whom he enters into the covenant. And that is a wonderful thing, but it also gives the adversary an opportunity to use that covenant to try to disprove the faithfulness of God, to try to do things that make people feel like God cannot be trusted, because since I became a Christian, everything seems to have gone wrong rather than right. You know, or he tempts us to do things that make us deny the covenant, which is more often the case. And we begin to feel like, oh, goodness, I've, I've denied the covenant. Surely um, the guilt and the shame that's associated with that means that the covenant no longer applies. <laughs> so the adversary uses the covenant to try to damage the relationship with God. And that's, we can see that's exactly what he's doing in this nation and in so many nations these days. He's trying to get people to do things that so offend God uh, that we feel like we have no future in a relationship with God as a nation. Our nation's turned away from God. This passage tells us that we must not give up on that. This because God is a God who doesn't just bring uh, non-specific things back to life. He can bring nations back to life, back to faith, back to a place of a relationship, proper relationship with Him. And uh, He can certainly do that f for every one of us and any one of us in this room. You may feel that you have no hope of a, of a future, uh, but, oh boy, I tell you what, <laughs> uh, that's not the God that's in covenant with you. The God that's in covenant with you, Abram understood, is the God who brings back things that are dead and brings things out of nothing. And when there's no hope, as it says here, um, just going on, that uh, even when there's no reason for hope, when there's nothing there, even when there's nothing there, Abram kept hoping. Because his hope was not based upon his own goodness. His hope was based upon the faithfulness of God. Believing that he would become the father of many nations, though he didn't see it in his own time. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have, like the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashore. 
Abram's faith did not weaken, even though he was that age. Abram never wavered in believing God's promise. Oops, sorry. We're all over the place now. I've got lost. Can you help me from the... Hey, that was good. The hope is grounded in, the, in God's promise, not in practical circumstances for Abraham and for us. Abram never wavered in believing God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Now, I want to give you a little thought here. God has made these huge promises to us because he's included us in this, right? How do you make your faith grow stronger that God will fulfill his promise, the Abrahamic blessing in your life and in my life? You do it by allowing yourself uh, to see God's in action in anything and everything else in your life. And anything and everything else that proves the faithfulness of God. I remember as a, a, as a kid of about 16, uh, I was in my final year at school, and a long way from following after the Lord at the time. And to my surprise, my peers started to show an interest in spiritual things. I was at a boarding school, and so we used to have these long tables for meals, and we're about 16 of us sat around these tables and um, these, these conversations started to sort of um, start up about, and it was, it was the Cold War, you know, people were worried about nuclear uh, conflict and, and I, I listened to the conversation and while I was not following Christ, I had a background in this stuff and I knew what the Bible said, you know. And so I'd find myself in this awkward situation where I would have to sort of clarify some of the issues from the scripture. And as a result of that, um, a few of them identified me as um, a lapsed Christian or whatever. You know, and they became Christians one after another. And what I saw in the change in their lives, that brought me back because I could see God at work in them. I may not have felt at the time he was at work in me, but I could not deny that I saw him at work in them. Remarkable change in their lives. So I made my peace with God. You have to look for, keep your eyes open. It's going to come to so, so many things in nature, so many things in the world around us are just miraculous. And in spite of the adversary's attempt to kind of blind uh, and confuse, uh, the light breaks through. So it just carries on to say here, he was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promised. And when God counted, it says, and because of, God's, uh, uh, because of Abram's faith, God counted him as righteous. God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't for Abram's benefit. Listen to that. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. So the death of Christ is there for all of us. And that action is, by, uh, is the way in which we are made right with God. 
you know, what I want to conclude with now is just talking about how the Christian hope shapes our lives. And I was thinking about this series, you know, that's about to start, about what the, the shape of the Christian life. And, um, and what, what is your hope? What is your expectation? How do you see your future, not just in this life, but your eternal future working out? Because that's what a hope is. A hope is what you're looking forward to. What are you looking forward to? And when Abraham uh, thought about the promise, he was looking forward to the fact that somehow or other, God was going to do this amazing thing in the world and make him, as it were, the progenitor of a whole new um, humanity. Amazing. And he's going to do that through his greatest son, uh, Jesus. Uh, but the challenge is this, that very often our, in our culture, all the focus is upon this life. And we forget how long and strong the blessing of God upon us is. That it, 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 it triumphs over uh, death itself. This passage talks about this. It says, it says for all who are led by, uh, by the Spirit of God, it's by us. Look at the language. It doesn't say not forced, driven, dragged, but the Holy Spirit gives us uh, the kind of relationship that gives us the option to follow or not. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. But we are the sons of God. Say to yourself, I am a child of God. That's my true identity. I'm a child of God. Yeah. And that's a permanent thing. That's an eternal thing. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by whom you, you might call God your father. The spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The size of that is huge, isn't it? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. When he says suffer, he means that he might that we, we go through different challenges in life. That we mustn't give up during those times. Because the promise is true. You know, we are the sons of God and the heirs, co-heirs together with Christ. And it says the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Oh, isn't this amazing? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And listen to how he defines that adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, he says, whether you die or whatever, when he comes, in a twinkling, in the flash, we shall be changed. And this mortality, we will be changed. We will not just be, you know, we're not just sort of going to be a disembodied spirit floating around. We, our bodies, will experience the transformation as in Jesus in his resurrection. That will be, that's part of our hope, you see. So he says there, in this hope, we were saved. He says this sense of the eternal purposes of God of which we are a part that are going to flourish in the age to come. He says, that is your eternal hope. You're a part of something that God is doing in a huge way. And this is my final statement to you today. This helps us to understand repentance. 
that it's not so much what we turn from that defines repentance, but what we turn to. And what I'm asking you to turn to today is I'm asking you to turn to this glorious eternal hope that defines your relationship with God, that you are a forever person now. And that the Vedic talks about the first fruits of the Spirit. What it means is that there are these manifestations of that divine, that divine eternality, as it were, that power, that transformation. These things flash every now and again in our lives, called the gifts of the Spirit. God gives us a wisdom that we would not naturally have. He gives us a faith that we would not naturally have. It's the outflashings of the eternal relationship and the eternal identity that we have. These are just the beginnings of what is going to be permanently manifest in us in the age to come. And in this hope we were saved. I'm asking you to think of yourself as an eternal creature. And I'm asking you to start living now as if you are living toward that. And you are committed to the, to the development of those outflashings, those first fruits, those manifestations of what has already been begun in you through Christ. And we, this world needs the church to be this. As we come to communion this morning, we celebrate the covenant relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. An eternal relationship that has made us eternal beings with a future far greater than four score years and ten. It's so much better. And I ask you to possess it today. As you come to the communion today, possess what Christ has done for you, what he has provided for you. Possess your hope. Possess your hope. Possess your hope. Lay hold on it. Let it define the relationship that you have with God. See, it's part of the covenant that Christ has made for you. Whatever it is that's been stopping you from entering fully into who you really are. See that it's not worth comparing with what you have received in Christ. Who you really are. He changed your name like he changed Abram's name and Sarai's name. And he gave you a new name, a new identity as a child of God. That's who you are. You're a son, you're a daughter of the living God. And the seeds of that dynamic is in you already. Possess that. Commit to it. Grow strong in it. Not just for yourselves, but because that is the agency by which the gospel spreads from one life to another. Christians who are alive, full of hope, full of confidence in spite of what their circumstance might be. So as you come this morning and you receive these emblems of Christ's death for you, His body broken for you, understand what he did for you he didn't just save you from sin great that that is 
He's made you His co-heir. And the seeds of that greatness are already in you. Don't let those seeds be smothered. Don't let them be overtaken by incidental, stupid, temporary things of this life. But let that faith be nurtured so that you can fulfill your destiny in this life. stations around the, uh, around the auditorium where you can go. And I ask you just to hold those symbols of Christ's body in your hand for a little while and let what we've been talking about today infuse your heart that you are so privileged. That this is such a wonderful relationship, such a glorious future, and I want it to shape my life.